Again, Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that your words may be just, so that your, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is the word of the Lord. I'll be reading from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 22, starting in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach, teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. It's a wonderful gospel text that is often in my mind in these days, thinking, uh, where is our allegiance due? Jesus so skillfully, of course, handles these people who come to trap him and says, well, Caesar seems to really like money. Uh, Whose picture's on the coin? Give that to him, but give the things to God that are God's. And of course, puts the question back to us. There comes a time when you realize how fortunate you are It can happen, I hope, much more than once. I think spiritual maturity means that you get to a place where it might happen every day. You realize how fortunate you are. There comes a time when you discover how blessed you are. Some would say, lucky. Where were you born? 
Many of us were born in this country. But for even most who were, it doesn't take long to point to relatives who came from somewhere else. At some point in our lives, we may have asked, how different would my life have turned out if I'd been born someplace else? I remember last year walking through the grounds of the Pashupati Temple complex in Kathmandu, and I had the thought in my mind, that thought. Among the crowds of people there were many poor people, clearly not having much at all. What if you had been born into a different circumstance in Kathmandu? I know that many could say, well, I was born someplace else, and I wound up here in Canada, and whether it's by that means or by immigration, by immigration or birth, at some point, most of us come to the realization, I'm so grateful to live here. It's, I can look out and see that often the people who decorate themselves uh, most vociferously on Canada Day are ones who have come from somewhere else. Gratitude is an important part of the Christian life. Of course, gratitude is making somewhat of a comeback currently, often for self-help reasons. A man goes to see his counselor, and the man complains of feeling generally down, maybe not depressed per se, at least not severely, but low and gray and not very happy. And the counselor gives him some homework. Keep a gratitude journal every day. Write down seven things for which you are grateful. You'll start feeling better. And everyone I know have known who's taken up such an exercise has started feeling better. It's an interesting exercise in a secular age. Of course, we can be grateful to our friends or family, certainly grateful for them. But I suppose, in fact, I would say I know that gratitude properly directed is always gratitude to God. Transcendent. Perhaps it's a vestige of faith, though I like to better think of it as a light of the real gospel. We are grateful. And as our eyes are opened to God's goodness, this gratitude turns to praise. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. This is three verses you can memorize. It's short. And for anyone who's ever wondered, what's the will of God for my life? You don't need to ask me anymore because the answer is in this brief text. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There it is for all who have wondered, what is God's will? Rejoice, give thanks, be grateful. And pray. So we say to one another, Happy Canada Day. And you feel it, right? You feel how grateful you are to live in this country. And so you write it down in your gratitude journal and you only need to come up with six more things. You know this truth as well, though. Gratitude improperly directed can lead to some difficult, perhaps unintended consequences. First of all, if we confuse it, if gratitude becomes self-congratulation, we can begin to feel that we have accomplished the good, the best in our lives. Scripture speaks to this throughout Old Testament and New. In the Old Testament, it was one of the biggest warnings to the people when they were about to settle in the Promised Land. Over and over again, God says, when the, when the land yields its harvest and then you have plenty, be careful that you don't think that you made that happen. 
Because if you do, you will forget me. I'm the source of all life. Psalm 67, the earth has yielded its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. It is blessing, always blessing, the good in your life. If you think that you have done it, then you forget me, God says, and then you are set for a fall. And we've seen it repeated over and over. The prophet Zechariah, speaking in different time, has the words of the Lord and says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Another consequence of gratitude improperly directed is idolatry. When you think idol, of course, you think of a block of wood carved into a figure or a carving of stone or the show Survivor. Was that what it's called? Okay. Scripture speaks of these idols, these kind. How stiff-necked could you be that you carve by your own hands a god? And that's why the metaphor is stiff-necked. You're like that block of stone or wood. You become like the thing you carved and worship. And because you can't turn your head or bow your head, you you become unable to see my goodness. You become unable to see me. Nation can become idle. We've seen it in history. And it has always turned out poorly. Not only wood and stone, anything can be an idol. A hobby, leisure. In Christian history recently, family has become an idol. Or, of course, money. As we gather today, we're grateful but we will not be nationalistic. It's easy for us when we look south of the border. July 4th is in just a few days, and they really do it right, some would say. But many, and troublingly many, Christian people in the United States have taken up an idol of nation. And it won't end well. They tell us that America is exceptional, better than the rest, Whenever I hear that word spoken in that way, I realize only Jesus Christ is exceptional. Anything by human hands is not. Only Jesus Christ, our Lord. We can be told that patriotism is a must, but we ought to be aware of the danger of any ism. So Jesus is approached. They try to trap him, and they ask him a question. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, why don't you bring me a coin? Whose picture's on here? It's almost like saying, what kind of person would put their picture all over something? The one who wants such vain praise? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. It's a call. The cross of Christ can become wrapped in a flag of nation, In our world right now, of course, we're saying that the challenge of that is in the United States, wrapping the cross in a flag and making an idol. Our responsibility is not to learn the lessons for the United States. Here now, as we celebrate Canada Day, we are grateful for our nation, but we ought not be idolatrous. How will we know? We will know because we are willing to be honest. True gratitude brings confession. This is the declaration of the spiritual life. This is your own personal spirituality. 
that you come to know the goodness of God. You see, when I was a kid, they told me, you repent and then you know God's goodness. And in some degree, that's right. But really, in the spiritual life, you know God's goodness. And then you're drawn to your knees. Woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. I've seen the glory of God. True gratitude brings confession. We're willing to be honest. We see the goodness of God and the love of Jesus Christ and we respond in gratitude. And then as we walk in this faith, we become aware of our own sinfulness. This is individual and personal, but it's also corporate. Anytime you become part of a group, any group, a group of Anglicans, a group of used-to-be brethrens, or whatever we are, or a group of Christians together worshiping. Anytime you become part of a group, it can be good. But you are also susceptible then to great sin, to exclude others. We don't forget as we are assaulted right now by the terrible reality that in the United States over 2,000 children have been separated from their parents And as of yesterday, six have been returned. It's well over a month for most of these. Babies, toddlers, up to teens. Now, don't forget, we have done the same thing in our history. We have taken children and separated them from their parents as a matter of national policy in the name of the church. Ought we to repent for that? You could say to me, well, we meant well. (laughs) Of course, you often do when you're sinning. Ought we to repent for that? Of course we ought to. And it ought to be the church that leads that repentance. Maturity means that we are willing to be honest. That any time that we celebrate something as a group or a church or a nation, we ask God, Open our eyes so that we can see what we have done in the name of that group that is unchristlike. Forgive us, O Lord. We are grateful. We are so grateful to live where we do. And we will be moved from gratitude through confession to mission. What a testimony of God's goodness that we worship together here this morning. We bear witness in the world to a God of love for all people. We are grateful and we confess. This is a particularly Christian posture. Humility. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. So what is confession? And what is repentance? And what does it look like? And what does it do? And what does it actually accomplish? It is admitting wrongdoing, admitting that we've hurt someone, admitting a violation. It is admitting that we are not Christ-like. Repentance is classically defined as turning around and going back. It is, at its heart, a reorientation. A reorientation of a current view current behavior, current position or attitude. Repentance reorients us to actions 
beliefs or behaviors of the past, as we read about in the 51st Psalm, David's great psalm of repentance for what he had done to Bathsheba and to Uriah and indeed to God himself. Repentance reorients us to the current moment that we may see, perceive, or understand people or circumstances, someone or some situation that is hurting, upsetting, offending me, or that I am doing that to another, and I come to see it and respond to it differently because I have been reoriented. Repentance also reorients us to the future, things which may come to pass because of past or current behaviors, patterns or postures towards each other as those sins of the past catch up with us, as we are seeing in our own country. It releases us from continuing in the same previous direction. It reorients us. Repentance reorients us towards those who we sinned against, those who we need to seek forgiveness from, make reparations or make amends. Repentance can lead us to reconciliation. Repentance also reorients us to those who have sinned against us, to those who have or are at the moment offending me or hurting me or saying all kinds of things against me or my family or those I care about or those you care about. In other words, confession and repentance reorients us to being in alignment with the kingdom of God and, as Todd said, his mission his mission of restoration of the whole of creation and the healing of the nations. Through confession and repentance, we can become, as Peter said in his epistle, like living stones, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, and this, a people of his own possession. To think that we are God's own possession. In other words, we are reoriented into his likeness and being. We become true witnessing disciples of Christ, to Christ, and for Christ in the world. We become a people and a community who are oriented toward the Beatitudes of Christ, as laid out in Matthew's Gospel. And this confession and repentance and reorientation ultimately leads us back to an even greater gratitude. We become aware in our own sinfulness and in our own repentance that we have so much more to be grateful for. We all have, as people, as a church, as a nation, a lot to be grateful for. But also we have a lot to repent of. We need to be reoriented. Not just once. It's not a one-and-done deal. We need to do it repeatedly, weekly, even daily. On a day like today, we are grateful for the country that we call home, but we also are moved to confess and to to confession and repentance for how we got here. The people who, who have been hurt because of our presence, because of the way our nation was formed, a priesthood and a people that we have sinned against. This is why it is good and right that when we gather together in worship to receive God's grace both through his word and through his sacrament, the bread and wine, which we will enter into in a moment, 
through his body and blood, that we should confess our sins to one another and to God. Repent and ask God to reorient our hearts as David did. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Reorient our heart, our mind and soul, and to ask him to forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. So that is what we're going to do now as we gather together on this Canada Day. Two congregations of faith, but one church. We will confess together. So I'm going to lead us through a confession, through a forgiveness litany. I'm going to, it's going to appear on the screen. I'm going to read part of it, and then you read the part that obviously is a response. And we do this as a prayer. I saw Allison type it in. There we go. So you'll be reading the yellow parts. Lord Jesus, you said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yet we, have, we are preoccupied with money and worldly goods and put our trust in what we possess rather than your care for us. Lord Jesus Christ, you said, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Yet we are so concerned about our own rights, self-interest, and power, and so little concerned about serving others. Lord Jesus, you said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Yet we are impatient under our burdens and unconcerned about the burdens of others. Lord Jesus, you said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall have their fill. Yet we do not thirst for you, the fountain of all holiness, and we are satisfied with half measures and mediocrity. Lord Jesus, you said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Yet we are so quick to condemn and so slow to forgive. Lord Jesus, you said, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Yet we have often regarded persons created in your image as objects of our own fear and lust. Lord Jesus Christ, you said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Yet we are so often ruthless with each other, and our homes and our world are full of discord and resentment. Lord Jesus, you said, blessed are those who suffer persecution for holiness' sake, for the kingdom of God is theirs. Yet we suffer no opposition because we have been ashamed of you, our crucified Savior, and have lived worldly compromises of your gospel. Lord, if someone has insulted or offended me, Lord, if someone has ignored or belittled me. Lord, if someone has betrayed me or accused me falsely. Lord, if someone has made assumptions about me or been intolerant toward me. 
Lord, if someone has hurt me physically or emotionally, Lord, if someone has wounded me spiritually or mentally, Lord Jesus, if there is someone I have insulted or offended, Lord Jesus, if there is someone I have ignored or belittled, Lord Jesus, if there is someone I have betrayed or accused falsely, Lord Jesus, if there is someone I have made assumptions about or been intolerant towards, Lord Jesus, if there is someone I have hurt physically or emotionally, Lord Jesus, if there is someone I have wounded spiritually or mentally, from the cross, our Lord Jesus Christ spoke these words. These are, a word, these are words of absolution, of forgiveness, that our sins have been removed from us. From the cross, our Lord Jesus Christ cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.